History is strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. Hour three of a Tuesday morning on Bill McLive, the McPherson Financial Group. This hour's sponsor, and if it is hour three on a Tuesday, it's Dave Does History on Bill McLive. Dave Bowman with us for the whole show today. Join us from uh, Silverdale, Washington, bright and early, and it's time to turn things over to him and see what in history has his attention uh, going back to uh, in the Wayback Machine, Dave, to 1864. Actually, a little bit before that too. But you ever, uh, have you ever been to Nevada? I have not. I've been over, never been in. Did you see anything that impressed you as you were looking out the window? Uh, a lot of sand, <laughs> alkali sand, no less. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Nevada is an interesting place. If you've never been there. I, I, I don't know that I'd put it at the top of my list of places to go, see, because really once you get outside of Vegas or Reno, it's it's a pretty desolate kind of place. But I Reno is just beautiful. It's okay. I mean, okay. it's hot in the summertime and there's a lot of a lot of casinos, but we uh, we spend an anniversary there once upon a time. So it, Nevada is is a unique state in the United States of America. The flag of Nevada says upon it, Battle Born, which today kind of confuses people. They look at that and go, well, what does that mean? What does that have to do with anything? But when you consider the entirety of how Nevada became a state, how it went from being a part of what would eventually become another state, how it lost territory to California in 1850, and then eventually became a state for the sole purpose seemingly of supporting the Lincoln administration, the Lincoln administration, it is a fascinating tale that it it resonates down to today because there are unique things about Nevada as a state that don't apply to any other state that we've seen in the news, even within the last decade. And we'll talk about more of that in just one minute. Operation Stormwatch continues for the month that is left of hurricane season. And, uh, you know, Galley Electric makes it happen. And all the information you need before, during, and after a storm, should we face one in what's left of hurricane season, we'll be right here with all the coverage. Thank you to O'Galley Electric. Dave Bowman with us with Dave Does History. So a year before that, June 20th, 1863, my native land of West Virginia becomes a state. And you talk about battle-born. We were brother fighting brother, but... There's a tie-in here to Nevada, Dave, a West, year later. West Virginia is a fascinating story because you could cogently argue that, that we're not a legal state. That <laughs> it's not legal. But yeah. at the same time, the Lincoln administration was pretty savvy about some things. Um, but at the same time, you have this territory out here out west that at the time is actually known as Deseret. It's not Nevada. It's not even Utah. At that point, the uh, the area that will become Nevada, of course, is obtained by the United States. One of the one of the most fascinating books I ever read was a book about 
the North American continent west of the Mississippi River during the American Revolutionary War and what was going on between Spain, England, and Russia. And these stories about these Spanish missionaries in groups of two, three, sometimes ten, walking across the entirety of what would become the American West to found missions, which would then be manned by one, maybe sometimes two people. And even they, while they walked across Nevada, didn't really stick around because there didn't seem to be much to the place. It's it's kind no of no reason a, to stop. Yeah. If you've <laughs> ever driven across I eighty, you know what I'm talking about. Once you pass Windover and it's just until you get to Reno, it's just giant giant land of nothing. But the thing about this land is we obtained it post the Mexican-American War in 1846 and 1848. After the Mexican-American War, when we took the land from Mexico, we then turned around and signed a treaty with them to pay them for the land that we took. So this is a very important thing to understand. We paid them for that land. So when you say we paid for it, what do we mean? Well, that would be the United States government. And who is the United States government, particularly in the era of, of Lincoln and, and that era? It's of, by, and for the people, meaning that we, the people, bought that land and paid for it in full, right? This is a very important thing to keep in mind, when, particularly when we're talking about Nevada. In the 1850s, late 1840s, early 1850s, silver was discovered in Nevada. Now, this kind of ticked California off because California had actually dictated, California did something that no other state had done. They dictated their borders to the Congress of the United States because they wanted all of the Sierra Nevadas because there was gold in them, Thar Hills. Mm -hmm. If they had known about the silver, California probably would have taken half of Nevada too, but they didn't know about it yet. So the silver rush hits and people start moving to Nevada because, while not as valuable as gold, silver still is pretty valuable. And it's plentiful. I don't think people really understand how plentiful it was, the Comstock load, in Nevada. And so you have all these people moving there because they're going to strike it rich. And it's in, in some ways, it's like the California gold rush again or the Alaska gold rush. People are moving there. The difference is, in California, and even to some degree Alaska, there are livable conditions and other things you can do, right? So you move to California as part of the gold rush, but you open a sutler store, or you open a restaurant, or a hotel, or something along those lines. Nevada's a little bit different because there just really isn't anything else here to do, Bill. I mean, it's, it is, I don't know. I've heard places described as the armpit of the universe. Nevada is... Are you telling me gambling and hooking hadn't been invented yet? Well, they had been, but yeah. they weren't really an issue Not yet. Not there. Right. Yeah, okay. They weren't really an issue yet. I mean, you had... You had, had to have the mob to bring it to Vegas. I get it. Okay. Yeah. So one of, the, one of the Apollo astronauts that went to the moon, and I don't remember who it was off the top of my head, but one of them was asked to describe the moon, and he described it as, quote, magnificent desolation. Now, I've driven across Nevada many times, mm -hmm. and I'm telling you, that fits Nevada. 
magnificent desolation. There are places in Nevada where you just look for miles and you don't even see another person, another car, another house, nothing. But the landscape is, it's just incredible. And depending on what time of year you're there, you know, I would, I would recommend avoiding August because it's going to be super duper hot. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are places in Nevada that are just incredibly beautiful. And of course, today you have the cities of Reno, Carson City, uh, uh, Las Vegas. I almost forgot the name of Las Vegas. Uh, my parents loved, there's a little town south of, of uh, Vegas. Hickory starts with an H. I forgot the name of it. But Henderson? Henderson. That they just yeah. loved. They just, that my Isn't parents. Isn't that where our bill was? Was Henderson or somewhere around so, there? Somewhere right around there. But yeah, my parents who are teetotaling, anti-gambling, you know, very conservative. They loved that place. They would stop there every time they were driving from Colorado to, to Los Angeles. It was, it was funny. But they, uh, it, it, Nevada is, is unique. So as you're looking at this, keep in mind that you've got a background going on here. In the eight, through the 1850s, you have a lot of stresses and a lot of strains. You have slavery and anti-slavery forces moving into what will become Nevada eventually. And much like Kansas, you're going to start seeing those fights. You're going to start seeing those battles. You're going to start seeing pressure to become a state. The problem that they have is that Nevada technically is part of the Deseret area, which is the territory of Utah, which is dominated by, obviously, the the LDS faith. And the LDS faith is not happy about this Comstock load. They're not happy about these people who are coming in here because they are decidedly, what's the word for it? Oh, yeah, not LDS. And they do okay. not behave like LDS people, and they, they don't want to follow LDS principles and behaviors. And so they're kind of turning Nevada into this, I, I don't like the term, but almost counter-Mormon portion of what they consider to be their territory. Utah always insisted that Nevada was part of, part of what they wanted to be, which was the state of Deseret. And so... You have these tensions building. So the federal government's having to deal with that. You have the Civil War getting going. And then you have the Comstock load, and you have all the silver coming in, and people are getting rich. Some people aren't getting rich. Some people are going bust. And the problem that the federal government has is kind of twofold. Number one, the federal government has to fight the Civil War. And very few people understand how expensive the Civil War is. The second problem is the Lincoln administration doesn't trust the LDS church. So what do we do about all of this? And we'll dig into it as Nevada becomes the uh, 36th state of the union with Dave Does History today on Bill Mick Live. We will get your calls in our final segment if you've got thoughts on what we're cracking open for you here as far as Nevada goes and the issues related there, too, as Bill Mick Live and Dave Does History continues Right here on 92.7 FM WMMB. Stay with us.
Our weekly dive into history. Dave Bowman joins us on Bill Nick Live. The McPherson Financial Group bringing you the hour. Thanks for spending your time with us here on 92.7 FM WMMB. So, Dave, Silver Rush, Mormon versus non-Mormon, other issues in play in Nevada. What's going on slavery, in making this place? Slavery and, and non-slavery. These are all issues, all the issues that affected most of the United States, with the exception of the LDS issue, are affecting Nevada here. And by the way, before I get, I meant to start with this, and I got, I, I meant to start by saying Happy Nevada Day, because that is today is Nevada Day, except that today is not actually Nevada Day, even though October 31st is the day that Nevada became a state. They, like the federal government, passed a law changing Nevada Day to the Friday closest to their actual date so that they could have a three-day weekend every year. They started that way back then? Well, that was a more recent development, but... But, oh, okay. So technically, Nevada Day was last Friday, even though it's really today. So I hope you enjoyed your three-day weekend for Nevada Day. At any Darn, rate, I missed it. Yeah, I did too. Um, so all of these stresses and strains are going on. And as the war breaks out, you're it's easy to lose track of what goes on west of the Mississippi River because it's so far away, you... The people out there are sort of, I mean, California is a state, and they are very pro-union. But the rest of it, like I said, the the Lincoln administration just absolutely does not trust the the LDS church in, in, in Salt Lake City. In fact, they will station army units, army units that could be used somewhere else, because they don't trust the people in Utah in the Salt Lake Valley. They're not sure what they're going to do. And they, and they can't have them cutting the lines between there and Nevada and California. So they have to keep an eye on those. It's it's not as violent as you might fear. But at the same time, Brigham Young and his group are very non-cooperative with the federal government. It's not that they favor slavery or the South. It's just that they kind of favor, you know, being left alone more than anything else. You have these economic factors that are involved with this. The the 1859 Comstock load discovery sympathizers from the south go to Nevada that starts to swing it pro-Confederate. But then more northerners come in and it swings it back the other way. And then you have this whole thing in Congress. Now, by 1864, when the 1864 election comes around, it is not clear. We look at it today as a done deal. But in 1864, it was not clear that Lincoln was going to win re-election. It was not clear that the Republicans were going to maintain control of the Senate and the House. The Peace Democrats, led by George McClellan, were very much supported by much of the northern media. There was a a good deal of war weariness going on. And so there was this total fear that they were going to lose. And they were starting to have problems in Congress. They were starting to have problems with the election. And they needed to solve that. Now, part of that was addressed with West Virginia, Bill. All of a sudden, Mm -hmm. you had two new Republican senators and one new Republican representative and three guaranteed electoral votes for Abraham Lincoln, but they weren't sure that was going to be enough. And so they started looking west, 
and they saw Nevada, and they saw an opportunity here to kind of pile on a little bit, make sure that these things worked out the way they wanted them to work out. So uh, West Virginia has added some new Republicans to Lincoln's uh, electoral war chest. They're thinking Nevada can be the same thing, or they want it to be that They want it to be the same thing. And that's a big political consideration. There's also a huge economic consideration, which is all that silver coming from Nevada is paying for the Union Army. So it's important to keep that in the federal government as well. By 1863, Nevada is working on statehood. Now, do you know how a state becomes, in brief, how a state becomes a state? Go ahead and give us the primer. You take a territory, it reaches a certain level of population. Then it applies to Congress. They say, hey, we want to be a state. Congress passes an enabling act, which lists the conditions by which they can become a state. And then says to them, okay, now write a constitution that guarantees a Republican form of government. That's what it says in the Constitution. Send that to us. And if you agree to all these conditions that we put on you, and we like your constitution, we will accept you as a state. Let me ask you about the Enabling Act. Is it the same for all the states? Is there a standard here? It is. The process is the same. The standards are not. Some states, like Ohio, they, nobody can find the Enabling Act, so they don't even know what they know it was passed, but they don't know where it is. Some <laughs> states, uh, depending on when they became states, uh, were required to do certain things. Uh, in the case of Nevada, there are some un, unusual conditions that you won't find in any other state. But as Nevada writes their constitution, the original constitution that they write, They do something very unique with it. They send it to Congress via telegraph, not mail. So they actually telegraph their Constitution all the way to Washington, D.C. Now, keep in mind... That poor telegrapher's fingers, man. Well, keep in mind, this is also 1864, so this is very expensive. It costs $3,000 in 1864 dollars to do this. But they do it anyway, because Nevada, you know, they got lots of money. to pay who? Wells Fargo or whoever the telegraph station is? Whoever's running the telegraph station. So, Yeah. But they do that. But there's some problems with that Constitution, and it causes Congress to reject it. And we don't have time to go through the whole thing. The biggest issue was taxation. They wanted to give certain benefits to silver mining, and the federal government wasn't going to have any of that. You're not, you're not messing with the taxes on the silver. And because you're not messing with the taxes on silver, we're also going to put this other condition on things. And that's that condition, which we've actually seen play out in the news in recent years as well. And that condition is, by law, by Enabling Act, 85% of Nevada, 85% of the land that will become Nevada, in perpetuity, without appeal, with no recourse. In other words, you can't come back later and say, well, we want to change our mind. No. 85% of Nevada will always be owned by the federal government, which no other state has as a condition. Why is that? Well, mostly because of silver, but there are some other conditions and some other considerations there as well. That's interesting, and I don't know. 
we have uh, so much land here that is either owned by the federal government or state government or our county government. It uh, is seen as a impediment to tax rolls here, right? Especially since we have no income tax. So, yeah. Dave Bowman with us. One more segment of Dave Does History. We'll let you in on that one at 321-768-1240 when we continue on WMMB. Live is on demand. The show, the McNugget, the call of the day, they're all on the free iHeartRadio app and in the podcast section at BillMick.com. And links for you at BillMick.com on the show page today for uh, Dave Bowman, his show, and uh, Dave Does History, the bibliography. Well, actually, the Dave Does History page there now where you can catch up with all things Dave Does History. As he wraps up, Dave Does History for a Tuesday as we're Taking a look at Nevada statehood and some of the unique things there. All right, Dave, where are we at? So Nevada sends their constitution in. They actually agree to all these conditions, which, of course, things like Republican constitution. You have to ban slavery in the states. Um, one of the things they had originally tried to do was disenfranchise African-American voters. And Congress said, no, you can't do that. So they had to redraft their constitution to allow that. And, of course, they agree to this 85%, basically everything in Nevada that isn't a city or an incorporated area or a school is owned by the federal government in perpetuity with no appeal. In other words, the state of Nevada cannot go to Congress today and say, hey, we don't like this. You know, you need to give us our, this, this other land. Congress is going to look at them and say, no, you agreed to it. That's the way it is. And so in 1864, October 31st, which is just literally days before the 1864 election, Nevada is proclaimed a state. And all of a sudden, Lincoln has three more electoral votes, plus all the voters in Nevada, plus, you know, all the money and everything else that's coming from here. It's it's easy to look at it cynically and go, well, it was just about that. But then when the results of the 1864 election roll in and it becomes clear that Lincoln was overwhelmingly elected, primarily because the Union Army believed in what they were doing, believed in Lincoln and wasn't going to see, while they loved McClellan, they didn't want to see all of their effort go to waste. We fought so hard and now this war is going our way and you want to change directions? No, we're not into that. So Nevada becomes a state. They immediately help to pass the 13th Amendment, which abolishes slavery, and they become who they are. You know, the mining industry and all of those kinds of things stand out. And Nevada becomes the 36th state of the United States on October 31st, 1864, a wartime state born in the midst of battle. Hence, her flag says, Battle Born. 
So let's bring Nevada home, Dave. What happens after they uh, help pass the 13th Amendment? Now the state is up and running as part of the union. Well, and now they pretty much become a state of the union and are ignored for the next hundred years, other than other than Vegas becoming Vegas and Wendover, Nevada, because the federal government owns all that land, so that they can use that for bombing ranges during World War II to train uh, the 509th Composite Bombing Group, which, of course, is the group that drops the atomic bomb. All of this stuff, Nevada is useful to the federal government. Of course, you Nellis Air Force Base, Area 51, ooh, mm-hmm. is in Nevada. And it's pretty much nobody notices this whole thing until, what was it, 2014? When all of a sudden, some dude, some rancher guy down there starts complaining that he doesn't think the federal government should be allowed to own this land that he wants to graze his cattle on. And then suddenly Nevada's back in the news again, and everybody's looking at this guy. Yeah, why does the government own all this land? Well, we paid for it. The government, which is we of and by the people, paid for it. So it's technically our land, which means that all these grazing fees are benefiting the American people in some ways or shape or form, theoretically anyway. And ultimately, it caused some people, I won't point out names of people who didn't do this, but it rhymes with Sean Hannity, it causes some people to actually go look at our history and read the Enabling Act of of Nevada, where it says very clearly in there, it's only four pages long, the state of Nevada says that 85% of the land, with the exception of schools and cities, in perpetuity belongs to the federal government, period. And you'd have to argue that that ownership of that land has benefited the United States in many, many ways, including things like weapons testing, development of aircraft, military military stuff, plus all that silver that continues to roll in. Hiding aliens. Yes. And indeed, even grazing fees that we charge to use our land to uh, to benefit our country. Very interesting, Dave. That's a fun look at uh, at how that all came about. It's not the most um, fun in Nevada, is it? I mean, you, you think of Nevada, you don't think of that kind of fun. You think of going no. to casinos, but just... well, that's true, and and great entertainment and everything, and well, the mob and, and everything that's associated therewith. Some good TV through the years. And a lot of, trust me on this, gas up in Wendover. If you're driving west on I-80, gas up in Wendover before you head out there, because there is nothing until you get to Reno. How big's the stretch? I mean, how how far is it? I don't remember off the top of my head. Are there but, any electronic cho- star- charging stations? <laughs> Just know, to who, tie it in the last hour. Because I haven't, I haven't driven that, I haven't made that drive since 98. Mm-hmm. But back then, uh, there's one city, Elk, elk something along the way but beyond that i mean i'm sure now that there's cell phone towers and everything else because you know that's the way of the world now but back then man there was just nothing if there was anything to pop up to create to give a reason for another city to be could they even create another city yes yes they can petition congress and say we want to incorporate this city will you you know allow that to happen and I'm sure Congress would say yes, because at this point, there's no reason not to. Uh-huh. But they're not going to give up. They're not going to give up the vast majority of that land, because, again, that land is beneficial to the federal government, which technically is us. Nevada seems to get some what I would almost consider 
unwarranted attention in presidential elections. Is there something behind how strategic they yes, become? Bill, yes. The same thing that was strategic in 1864. Cash. Money. Nevada mm-hmm. is wealthy and mm-hmm. politically connected because it's it's one of those places that the normal rules don't apply. If you go to Nevada, you don't have to necessarily behave the way you would have to behave if you were in, say, Georgia or Virginia. You can... Much less Salt Lake City. Right. Definitely <laughs> yeah. Salt Lake City. You can yeah. let your hair down a little bit. And it, the people there are much more... They're much more independent, and so they tend to see things their own way. And that's why Nevada is wealthy, and if you get those people behind you, you're going to make cash. Okay, that makes a little bit of sense. And it, Well, what about politically now? Harry Reid, before he passed away, longtime senator there, what, what are Nevada's general leanings, or are they split like the rest of the country seems to be? From what I can tell, they tend to be split. Harry Reid is a very, was, God bless him, a very you know unique individual. Here's a guy that gets, what, a 99 rating from the NRA? But he never votes for anything that you would think Nevadans do. So I, I, to me, they seem very single-issue oriented. You know, as long as you don't take our guns away from us, we don't really care about anything else, which, again, kind of fits with the motif. And bigger cities tend to lean liberal, and Nevada's population is basically in cities. There's very little rural uh, population, very little rural uh, control of things, so that would make sense in a, in a lot of ways. I uh, Harry Reid used to frustrate me because he was such a... But we do have him to think, thank for using the nuclear option, which is, of course, what got Donald Trump his his judges as well. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, that, and he did, he did bring... All of that about um, didn't think it through very well. I'll tell you that other other industry, other concerns in Nevada right now. Is silver still going well? Is is it bountiful still or I don't know if it's bountiful. I know that there's still some there because the Comstock load is huge. The other big issue in Nevada, and of course, this applies to the entirety of the what I would call the Mountain West or the Southwest is water. And. Water is is going to be water is in many ways the new silver, the new gold. Who has the water is going to control a lot of things. But again, keep in mind that Nevada, eighty five percent federal government. So who's really controlling that? The government is as well. If it were, if if Nevada had had control of all that, their relationship with other states might be somewhat different. And so I see some impressions in the idea that the federal government did that. Line one, you're up with Dave Bowman on Bill McLive. Good morning. Good morning. This is Harriet Hayes down in Mico. Yeah, Harriet, what are you thinking? I want to tell Dave my grandfather was Senator Pat McCarran, Nevada. Oh, yeah? Virulent anti-communist. Virulent conservative Democrat. Is that right? When, When was he in? Hello? When was he in? Hello? Yeah, we've lost Harriet. So trying to figure all that. You familiar, Dave? Senator McCarran, yes. He, he was uh, he was a a uh, 30s, 40s that era. Don't quote me on the dates, but I know he was a uh, an opponent of Franklin Roosevelt, and he's the guy who the airport in Las Vegas is named after. Oh, okay, very, very McCarran good. International airport. 
Um, we're talking potential other industries there besides silver, uh, water, well, energy production, part of that, right? Well, yeah. gambling's there. Gambling's there. Uh, tourism. Uh, tourism. But in limited places, right? Yeah, but I mean, really, do you need a, do you need a casino out in the middle of nowhere? I mean, Vegas is the pl- Vegas and Reno and Carson City are, are the places. But the other thing, of course, is military applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a huge, there is a huge military presence there with with both Nellis Air Force Base and, of course, Area 51. It's uh-huh. Halloween, so we got to bring that up, right? That's where the aliens the occasional, are. Occasional restaurant with alien head signs and all of that, right? Yeah. Ever been to Mel's in, in Reno? Man, that place is good. No, never have. I've, I've never been out there. Really? Yeah. You should make a trip out there sometimes. It's worth, well, I, here's the thing I recommend that if you do, though, go to California and drive over 120 through Yosemite. Oh, yeah, beautiful. And that you, there you, I've been. Yeah. Yeah, that is a that is a one of Dave's top ten drive, must drives in California or in, in, in the United States is Highway 120 over uh, over Tioga Pass into Reno. When we were living in Oakdale, once or twice a month, we would either go east toward Yosemite or west toward San Francisco for the weekend trip, and it was it was great either way you went. I think they would all be eastbound now. <laughs> Probably. Just saying. Well, yeah. there are a lot of people who, who Californians who drive to Nevada to buy cars, to buy if you live close enough, you drive over there to buy gas because it's so expensive. So. Ah, makes a little sense. Hey. What do you got next week, Dave? The 1916 election. Woodrow Wilson, he kept us out of the war, you know. Yeah, yeah, so he said, right? That was his campaign slogan. Exactly. Dave Bowman, thanks for spending the day with us here. I appreciate that you do that. Thank you to the McPherson Financial Group. They made the hour possible. Thanks to all of you for taking part. And tomorrow, a wide open Wednesday. Any topic you want to talk, whenever you call us, it's what we do. Dave Bowman, I'll see you next week. We'll see you then.